Happy Valentine's Day, Aram. Uh, oh yeah, it is. It is Valentine's Day. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you. Are we each other's Valentine? Uh, I've got a Valentine. Actually, I'm sorry. No. Well, can't you have different like subsections of Valentines? You're my work Valentine. Yes. There we Does go. Does that work? Yeah. All right. Just baseball show. Today is Monday, February 14th. Jack McMullen, Aram Layton drinking Jack's coffee right now. What's going on here? Yeah, I'm recycling the joke I already gave at you uh, before we recorded. And I was saying, I was wondering why it was so mid. Oh, that's mean. Yeah. Oh, well, though. I've got my... Uh, I got go my... every day. I go every day, by the way. So it's, it's you... good. It's good coffee. Jack's coffee. I've got my Teletrack Navman mug with my coffee. We're recording pre-Super Bowl. Um, we're recording at 10:30 a.m. because we did not want to record after the Super Bowl because I think you and I are both going to uh, have a couple of libations and uh, just enjoy yeah. the game. Yeah, it's one of those where I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going to have any any beers with the with the football game today. And then you know everybody around you is getting into it, and you're like, all right, I'm going to do it. So I know I know it's going to happen, and uh, I want to be able to record a good episode. You know, we, we, we owe the people a little bit more than a, than a buzzed episode. So yeah, yeah. here we are. <laughs> now instead, we're just doing instead like you get a tired, episode. you get a tired morning episode where the coffee might start to hit 10 minutes in. You'll realize like, oh, arm sounds a little happier now. Yeah. We're uh, going to start bringing the juice a little bit. That'll be good. Yeah. Just it, it'll ease in. Perfect. Um, what I like about the Super Bowl and also what I don't like about the Super Bowl, I, I love the non-football aspect of the Super Bowl, like halftime show I always enjoy, but the commercials is really what I enjoy because like everybody's pulling out the stops. But what I don't like about the Super Bowl is it is three and a half hours of intent viewing. Like it is, you cannot take your eyes off the screen because the football, obviously you want to watch. That's what you tune in for. But then when they go to break, that's usually when I like mentally disconnect for a moment. But yeah, my attention almost becomes more fine on the product on TV. No, it's funny. I, I have my my automatic sequence now for the most part, which is when I'm watching a sports sport game or whatever it is, like whatever the sporting event is. I'm going to watch the game while it's on and then it goes to commercial break. And that's where I pull out the phone because we have attention spans of 10 seconds. And hmm. that's where I'm going to start ripping off Bryson Stotts winning NL Rookie of the Year and send that to you just to see what you say. Yeah. And then once you reply, if the game's back on, I'm not replying. I'm back locked in on the game and then, you know, we'll, we'll keep the cycle going. But yeah, during the Super Bowl, the commercials are are relevant. I don't really care, though. Is, is that crazy? I don't no, care about the, crazy. I don't care about the commercials. I get it. Like, it's one of the things that everybody talks about. I just find them. See, commercials to me, I think, are some of the worst put together things that we have as a human species. Like, I, I just think they are so the standard is so low. They could be so much better. Ninety nine percent of them suck. And the, the Super Bowl commercials are just an extreme example of that. So the one percent are like bangers. They're great. The ones that are bad are like so freaking bad. They're like extra cringy, try too hard, all that stuff. 
That's kind of where I'm at on on Super Bowl commercials. Historically, though, uh, the E-Trade baby has always delivered. And I've seen this like (laughs) almost spoiler. I've seen this spoiler from E-Trade where um, they're like they're dialing in like this top secret agent. And then at the end of the commercial, they they show the uh, the baby monitor here. So So, I think the E-Trade baby is coming back. So you're watching trailers to commercials for the Super Bowl. Well, trailers that were packaged as commercials for commercials to come. Like, you know how Bud Light was doing that? It's like, tune in for the Super Bowl to see the, the big finale, like that type of shit. Oh, God. Fansville, Dr. Pepper, you always wait for the new Fansville commercial. Oh, I'm always eagerly, I'm on the, on the edge of my seat. That's a great, that's a great example of how commercials suck. Yes. Is right there, that one, that Correct. one right there. Correct. And then they decided to target DJ Uyunglele, who turns out to suck. Yeah, let's talk about baseball Uh, lockout update here. I didn't want this to be I I didn't want this to be an I told you so update, but like it's turning into an I told you so update where you were firm on baseball playing 162 games. I said no chance in hell. And after Saturday, do you does your mind waver a little bit or no? I no, um, I, I actually thought Saturday was was OK. Uh, well, I don't know. What were we expecting from Saturday? I, we saw we saw the owners give a little bit, um, a little bit. It wasn't great, but I, I was reading up. I was just genuinely curious on, on what the what the reception was, because at the end of the day, that's the biggest that's the biggest indicator, too. Yeah. And. Jason Stark had some really good thoughts on it too. He said on, on the surface, it might seem like this is, you know, really bad, but um, it, players, players are not as, and, and John Heyman said the same thing. Players were not as disappointed as they thought they would be. So I, I know the owners set the bar really low for themselves, but at least Saturday was a step forward. How large of a step forward? I mean, that, that we'd have to be on the inside to know, uh, but the players, are taking that offer back and, and going over all of it. So it wasn't like this instant vehement rejection. Uh, so I, I think there's some good things. They bumped everything up a little bit. Uh, the owners did. So we're heading in that direction a little bit, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not great. It's not great, but I, I still think that this was better than where we were Friday night. Yeah. If you want a legitimate assessment of how the lockout negotiations are going, I highly recommend you do not go to Twitter for that assessment. No. Like, Twitter is not the place for that assessment because you've got guys saying, this is total bullshit. We're getting screwed. And then like, you've got the other side present too. And those usually don't have like, you know, faces as avatars, but um, it, go read like Jason Stark or yeah. Heyman when he puts together the article or even Bob Nightingale on USA today, like, you know, go read um, it legitimately published pieces on how mm-hmm. the conversations are going, because that's how you're going to get the most transparent view of how each side is viewing this. Exactly. Exactly. And especially because so much of it is is strategic PR leaks from the owner's side, uh, you know, players being very vocal, uh, even if even if there are if there is progress being made, you know, frustration from players is going to really, like give off a different kind of vibe. I think the best way to do it is is going to those uh, Jason Stark, for example, is is going to do everything in his power, such an experienced journalist, to make sure that he's not being manipulated by strategic PR drops by the owners and you know things like that. He's not going to just be a shill, uh, and that's why I think it's great to read the Starks and the Haymans, uh, who for the most part 
do everything they can to, to give the fans legit just what the breakdown is of the situation. What I will say, though, is seeing some of the tweets and uh, in, in quotes from uh, Rob Manfred made me dig back even more. Uh, there was one from Rob Manfred. There was another from, I believe it was just one of the other attorneys that are that's representing MLB. And I was like, this has to be out of context. Like this is these are such bad quotes, the two of them that I had to dig back and go look at the full context and it wasn't any better. Um, you know what I'm talking about, Jack, the one being Rob Manfred saying owning a major league baseball team is not that profitable and it's not much better than having stock in the stock market. Um, and then the other one was that it doesn't make sense to pay minor leaguers in spring training because they're getting an opportunity. Yeah. Um, that one was even worse and yeah, we, we probably got something to unpack on that. Yeah, we can. Uh, you and I have both done many unpaid internships and it sucks so bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I never want other people like, you know, it's it's almost like if you're in a frat and you get hazed during the pledging process, you want to haze other people because you just went through it. Here's yeah. the thing about unpaid internships. I don't want other people to go through no. unpaid internships. no. And, and I never like understood the hazing thing, honestly. So it's kind of the same thing, but like, I, I would never, unless it's a college credit situation or whatever it is like, yeah. And the problem is a lot of times it's not like what the job description is and all that stuff, but that's, that's a whole different thing, but it is a perfect example because it's like, these are some of the best players in the world of baseball, right? Like a lot of these guys, I mean, this is this would be like Bobby Witt. Yeah, does he need the money? No. Uh, but if you're getting invited to spring training, like you should be, you should be paid for your time. There's a lot of quadruple A guys trying to crack a big league roster at spring training. That's the whole point of having the invitees at spring training uh, for the big leagues, and they might not make it. So they deserve to to make money during that time as they're fighting for a spot to potentially make the big league roster. I saw a great tweet, which was a player just saying, "Yeah, tried to pay with an opportunity." at the grocery store, they didn't accept it. I'll keep you posted. Like that, that's exactly well, like everything you need to know about the situation. Yeah. Um, and another tweet that I saw was from Casey Sadler. Did you see any of this? Casey Sadler, who I believe yeah, Mariners reliever still, right? Yeah, or is nasty. He nasty. So Casey Sadler um, is still pre-arbitration eligible. I want to say he doesn't hit arbitration until he's 34 years old. That'll be 13 years after he was drafted. He was in and out of the bigs. I mean, he it, he took eight years to get to the bigs. Yeah. Eight years. And yeah. Casey Sadler, you know, somebody recounted his story on Twitter, and he literally just quote tweeted it and said, um, from the outside, you think you could be fighting for, you know, millionaires versus billionaires. You think that's what the lockout looks like. But in reality, I just want to make sure other people don't go through my situation. Yeah, because my situation sucked because he was living paycheck to paycheck for eight years before he got to the bigs. And now he can't get his payday until he's 13 years into his major league career. Well, into his professional baseball career. Like, that's what we're looking at here. And you're right. You know, the whole um, you're getting paid an opportunity thing. I've done it. I have um, totally taken the bait on that and said, you're right. This is a wonderful opportunity. But at the end of the day, you got to get paid for work you're doing. And these guys, as much as they love it, it's still work. Like, it's their job. They work so hard. So what they love can be their job. Like, that's why we want to go into sports, right? That's why we yeah. grind the way we do, because we just want work to be fun. And, like, 
that's what they're doing too. Again, a reminder that it's work and you have yeah. to get paid. And here's the biggest part about it too, is, is people are like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's baseball or whatever. It takes up a ton of their time, right? I mean, you can't have another full-time job. It's their whole life. It's their whole life. And they're not getting paid for when they, when they're training, right? Like when you're training on your own and hitting in a cage and doing those things and working out, you're not getting paid for that, which you shouldn't be. But the point is like, they're putting in a ton of work on their own. Whereas, you know, when, when you're doing other things like work, like you're actually working for a company. If you're doing some extra work after you clock out, you know, you're not getting paid for that either. So like it, it's similar to that, but those people are getting paid every hour that they're clocked in, in a real corporate world. The fact that baseball wants to have areas where it's like, oh yeah, from like nine to 11, we're not going to pay you in February just because it doesn't make sense. But like, we'll, we'll pay you most of the other time. Not that well. Like, I, that's the other thing about it is, is these guys, I mean, it's paycheck to paycheck week to week. We've bumped minor week salaries up a little bit. But that money makes a difference for a lot of these guys during spring training. That's why we're talking about it. What it boils down to the most to me and the most defining aspect of it is that it's nothing for MLB. We can talk about tens and hundreds of millions being nothing here and there. Paying players, minor leaguers in spring training, which it wouldn't be that substantial for them in terms of how much money it would cost individually. It's a drop in the bucket inside of a drop in the bucket for major league baseball. Like it's such a weird hill to die on for the league. And I don't really understand why they're doing it because the money is almost irrelevant. It's almost like a power thing. Here's the thing. These owners, if they went around once a day and handed each minor leaguer at minor league spring training at a hundred dollar bill, they wouldn't think twice about it. Like they be the equivalent of you and I giving a penny out. Less probably. Who, like who cares? But the, it's it's the principle that that fucks them up. And I don't understand why it's fucking them up, because they're they're spoiled, rich billionaires and they become hoarders like that's what these guys yeah. are. They they hoard everything. And it doesn't do you any good to have a billion dollars in your savings account. Like, what are you going to do? Trickle that down to your great, 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 great grandkids. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, here's the thing, too, is is they're successful because of this, right? Like they're successful because of their ability to to save in every every single spot they can and be effective and be efficient and things like that. But when you own a major league baseball franchise, too, I just think the things like that, like those are some of the small things, the small gestures that you can make that make a huge difference. The Astros organization, again, they haven't done everything the best way ever all the time, but they ponied up and paid for, you know, housing before everybody else did for their players. And it makes a big difference. I don't think it's a coincidence that they develop so much talent. So I I think when you're looking at how little it is, like I can understand owners pushing back from an owner's perspective on years of control or, or luxury tax. Cause at least like that's a ton of money. Like that is a lot of money. I, I still think I still side with the players on that, but at least you can understand why, why the owners are pushing back. Cause it's like, that's a substantial amount of money. Even though it's not going to make or break them, it's it's a lot. When it comes to the minor league stuff, it blows my mind because that's literally it's negligible. Um, and again, that's where it all comes down to like the power struggle and, and more of just, hey, we're in control here. What I will say is baseball, the owners bumped marginally the, the luxury tax, um, the CBT, and they also marginally bumped up that that bonus pool uh, for pre-arb players. So 
not as much as we'd like to see, but they did marginally bump both up. So we'll see how much the players give after that. And then, you know, what meeting in the middle, quote unquote, looks like. Yeah. I, and the owners are going to keep bumping up. The players are going to keep bumping down. And then all of a sudden we're going to get into this $20 million range here. And then I think they're going to agree on our number. So it's going to take many meetings, but I think the more meetings you have and the more bumps we have, like that's nice, you know, just being yeah. nudged. So it, it might take eight more meetings, but we'll get to a number. We will absolutely get to a number. And I think um, we're seeing we're seeing it a little bit, right? Like we're seeing yeah. the, the owners kind of wanting to test the players and see how much they'll give. And both sides are finally giving something. So we'll get there. 100%. Both sides are being stubborn. They're going to come to their heads at, at some point. Um, we are going to talk about one of the changes that the owners have approved, and that is um, the draft lottery being put in place and draft pick compensation being changed because more so than the NFL or the NBA, and we will compare it to the NFL and the NBA, uh, the MLB draft is a crapshoot, whether it's the first overall pick, the top five picks, the first round, you know, the 40th round, like there is a major difference in skill and financial awareness with the MLB draft than the NFL and NBA draft. But before we get into the draft conversation, I do want to get political for like two to three minutes. If you let me. Oh gosh. Like, is this one of those jokes where you're not actually going to get political? No. I am. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. All right. Let's. It was your birthday, by the way. I didn't bring this up. It was Jack's yeah. birthday yeah. Uh, two days ago. So this is, uh, you this can't, is my birthday. You, yeah, you can't wish Jack a happy birthday, I guess, because you're listening. And it's a one-way situation here. But I'll, I'll just take it as you know, everyone's saying happy birthday to Jack right now. So Perfect. there you go. And I'm giving you the – imagine the awkward singing where you yeah. just got to sit there with your hands folded while everybody sings happy birthday to you as if it's like a, a good thing. You have yeah. to be like, act like this is great. Thank you for this. Um, yeah. So imagine that uh, our listeners are singing happy birthday to you right now. I got away with only hearing one song on Saturday, which was awesome. Um, that was in person. So that's a lot better than over the phone, like FaceTime and phone call. Happy birthday. That oh. song like, oh, man, hell. But I, I'll take this as my birthday present that you're letting me get political for like two, three minutes. Yeah. The White Sox organization required boosters for all of their minor league players. Okay, I'm for that. I'm boosted. What I'm not for whatsoever is the White Sox said, if you refuse to comply, you will not be released from your contract. So you'll be sitting here wasting away your years of development until your contract with the White Sox is over. They are going to blackball you from signing another minor league deal if you do not get the booster. So you're not going to play in the White Sox organization. And you can't play for somebody else if you're anti-vax. That's ridiculous. It, it, that's crazy. They should at least just re- like, and I still think it would be re- ridiculous to release them, but you would have the ability to do that. At least give them an opportunity to go elsewhere. I actually didn't see that. that that's absurd. Where, where, where was that? Where did that come out of? Uh, just search White Sox minor leaguers or White Sox booster. Wow. Oh, and, and here's the interesting thing about the booster without getting too deep into it, like I was going to get it. And then I got COVID. So now I've had heard mixed things like, Oh, like, do you get the booster yet? Like right after you got COVID or like you, you wait a little bit. And like my doctor told me wait a little bit. So um, it's like, there's a lot of unique situations for these guys that that's outrageous to me, like holding players hostage. I thought you were going to be worse than that, Jack, when it comes to the political thing. I think that's a pretty unanimous that's messed up type thing for, for these players. 
Yeah. So here's here's the article from SI. This is the whole thing. It's it's very quick. Um, and Mike McDaniel wrote it for SI. Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel. Not Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel. Okay. Sports Illustrated writer Mike McDaniel. The White Sox are requiring all minor league players to receive COVID-19 booster vaccines before they report to spring training, according to ESPN's Jeff Passan. Major League Baseball is not requiring coronavirus vaccinations for minor leaguers in 2022. Chicago mandated COVID-19 vaccines for all minor leaguers last spring and had 100% compliance, according to Passan. So while this is not the first time the team has mandated the vaccine, the organization is the first in Major League Baseball to mandate the booster shot. The team released a statement to pass in on their decision on Friday night. The Chicago White Sox are requiring all of our employees to be up to date on their COVID-19 vaccination status, and this requirement extends to our minor league players as well, that statement said. We believe this is the right thing to do to protect the health and well-being of all of our players and staff across the organization. So the lead, I agree with. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with mandating the booster for those who can get it. Here's where it gets me. Chicago is not only requiring minor leaguers to show proof of the booster, but the organization will also refuse to release any player who declines to comply per Ken Rosenthal of the athletic. So you're a hostage. You are a hostage. It is literally get the booster or you're not playing and you can't play for anybody else. You can't even go to indie ball. You're just sitting there in purgatory. Yeah, it's it's almost like, and it's funny because you see a lot of a lot of people. I, I feel like a lot of it sometimes when we see people fighting against against the shot, like with Kyrie, what was called Kyrie the the contrarian. Like I think if everybody was getting, if if nobody was getting the shot, Kyrie would be it. first. To, he'd be first in line to get the shot. Yeah. Um. But I can understand in this in this situation here for me, I would get the booster in two seconds, and like once once it makes sense for me to do it, I'm gonna do it. The crazy thing about it to me is that almost the idea of going to get it because the white Sox are holding me hostage almost to a degree makes me, it just like would make me uncomfortable. Like I'd still do it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to make a big stink out of it, but I can understand a little bit. The people that are like, I'm, I'm trying to just like stand up for myself a little bit. It's not a hell I would die on, but there, could you imagine going and, and getting the shot? And you're like, I had no choice and putting no that thing choice. in. Yeah. Like it, it was this or my career. And like getting that jab, like it's fine uh, to get the jab. And I think it's, it's a good thing to, you know, to push across your employees. But literally, we will hold you hostage and run your career unless you do this is, is a crazy way to get your players to do it. And I feel like a lot of players are going to be going in there with that in the back of their mind. And, and it's kind of messed up. It's super messed up. Um, and like, here's the thing. I hate that I had to pull my political card on that. Like, I, ha- I hate that I had to burn that opportunity to get political on the Just Baseball show. For oh, yeah, you're, just- you're done. You're done for like six six to eight months now. Yeah, I know. But like, that just shouldn't be political. Like, that, that is just like, I am pro-vax. However, I am anti-forcing people to get vaxxed or else their life and professional career is ruined. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a fair take. I like, think so. I- <laughs> I, that's, I think that's 98% of people, though. At least I would hope. Yeah, God, I mean... That's There's a difference ridiculous. between, like, losing your job and and we will hold you hostage. That's the difference. Like, that's... like it, They could even say, we're going to release you. At least a player could say, all right, screw it. Release me, and I'll cool go somewhere it. else. Cool. I'll go it. somewhere else. You know, because the, the team at the end of the day loses in that situation, too, right? If it's a good player, you know, they got to make that decision. That's fine. You're giving the player an opportunity elsewhere, and they can make the decision for themselves. But... In the case where you're holding them hostage, yeah, they have, they have no chance to go anywhere else. That that doesn't really make sense. So yeah, I'm 
I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to be a unanimous thing. I'm, I'm interested to see how the reception is to that. I, I haven't really been on Twitter since that story came out too much. So I'll have to yeah. check it out. But I do like that we have at least some adjustments to the draft process. Yes, 100%. Nice transition there. Uh, let's talk about the draft process here. Because Major League Baseball, the owners and the Players Association agreed to uh, adjust to a draft lottery to de-incentivize tanking, which is massive. Hopefully we don't see 52 and 110 Baltimore Orioles and Arizona Diamondbacks again, and hopefully they start bleeping trying. Yeah. Uh, How does it look? You know, I like it. I like it a lot because in terms of of what that does, one, it's just another fun spectacle too. Uh, I was talking about this, I forget where, uh, Oh, it was it was on my buddies at NL Feast. I hopped on the NL Feast podcast. Great guys over there. They do a good job. Um, and we we're just talking about this, this kind of side of things. And it's another spectacle. It won't be quite like Zion, you know, and, and the lottery there. I mean, you remember the Pelican season ticket office. Yeah, or like Pat Ewing, right? Like yeah, right. The video of Ewing. Won't quite be like that. Um, but it, it will be fun where the the team that's fifth, in the lottery has a shot at the number one pick. Like I think the lottery process, they're trying to make the draft more interesting. Uh, clearly they, they moved it to the middle of, of all-star weekend now or, or all-star break for a reason. I think this helps with it. And also it de-intensivizes tanking, as we said. And at the end of the day, it, it's really not that much of a difference. If you have the first pick or the third pick or the fifth pick, most of the time, because MLB drafting in, in history is, is just such, it can be so hit or miss, obviously, like any sport can be, but baseball especially. And it's really about just how much draft capital you have in terms of your bonus pool, right? Because the earlier your picks are, the larger the slot value is, which means your cumulative pool is going to be bigger, which means you have more flexibility where you can underslot a guy here and give more money to a guy, overslot him in another round. It gives you more flexibility, but at the end of the day, you can get strategic in any draft spot, and I'm all for the lottery. I'm also for trading picks, and I don't know where that would fall into all of this too, uh, but I am for that also. Yeah, I'm for that too. That would be very fun. And the reality is like, you're right. You add an event with the MLB draft lottery. And like, I really look forward to seeing robotic ass deputy commissioner Mark Tatum twice a year. I look forward to watching the NBA draft lottery. And I look forward to watching the second round of the NBA draft. Cause like, that's the only two times that I see Mark Tatum's face. Uh, and I just think that's beautiful. Like if, if we have a draft lottery and you're a Baltimore Orioles fan, and you've got nothing to hang your hat on in the 2021 season. You know, like what Cedric Mullins, I guess, is like what you enjoy watching. But like, even then you're still losing 10-3 on a Wednesday night. Um, so like, if you have a chance to tune in for the draft lottery, that's a big thing if you're an Orioles fan. If you suck, at least you have something to look forward to. Yeah, and, and they'll probably argue like, well, I want the guaranteed number one pick. But I, here's the thing is, you, you can root for your team to win. <laughs> Even when you're 52 and, and 100, you can still root for your team to win in those games because you don't care about where you finish. Because I, I believe it would be the bottom three would all have the same probability, right, in terms of, of getting that first pick in the lottery, or at least the bottom two. Generally, that's how it works, or it's super close. You can root for your team to win and not be like, oh, this win does nothing for us. It only hurts our draft stat. And I know I mentioned usually it doesn't matter what pick you have, but you do have those drafts where it's a consensus top, you know, number one guy. And you mentioned this to me on the phone before we recorded yesterday. And 
it's, it's a good point. Sometimes you do have that consensus number one guy, and that'll be a bit of a spectacle, right? With Spencer Torkelson, that would have been a bit of a spectacle, right? Who's getting torque? Because you know who the number one pick is. If you look at some other drafts, it's not quite the case. 2017, you know, Royce Lewis going one, Hunter Green two, it wouldn't matter as much, uh, but it would just be a fun process. But it would be a big spectacle on the Torkelson or Adley type drafts where you have that consensus number one guy. And, and that's the thing, right? Like with the NBA, like there's almost always this consensus number one guy. You talk about the Zion Williamson sweepstakes, but when you go with Anthony Edwards or Anthony Bennett, like those guys were not in the number one conversation. Like Nerlens Noel was in the number one conversation. He went seventh. Like that's the type of thing that you get some years and that is unavoidable. I do want to walk through the last five um, drafts in terms of like notable picks within the top 10 and where they signed in terms of slot value, because you mentioned it was the Spencer Torkelson sweepstakes. He signed right at slot value. $8.42 million was his signing bonus. So that's one, one signing right at slot Henry Davis this year signed for $1.9 million under slot pirates went under slot with the first overall pick Adley Rutschman ever so slightly under slot, like $300,000 under slot value, but we will just call that slot value because it really did feel like Adley Rutschman was the best player available in the draft in 2019. Totally. I, I don't even know how that works where they're able to knock them down 300 K. I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely for being able to overslot another picks, but that, that's a funny one. I wonder how they were able to pull that one off. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure either. And then Casey Mize kind of same thing too. We, we had a feeling that Mize was going to go one, one, he signed for half a million dollars under slot. So do you just talk to Casey Mize and it's like, listen, you're getting $8 million. Like, let's just ding you, you know, half a mil. Um, yeah. You can save us elsewhere. Yeah. But the funny thing is it's not like basketball where it's like, Oh, it's going to help us build a team to be better for, for when you get there. Does Casey Mize really care if they overslot a guy in the fifth round? Odds are, again, because it's a baseball MLB draft, it won't matter for the big league team at some point. And the odds of that guy playing for the team are are more unlikely than likely. Uh, So, yeah, I always wonder how they're able to pull that off. And then the previous two years before Mize was Royce Lewis and Mickey Moniak both signed for north of a million under slot value. But notable guys that came in the top 10 after a lot of these guys. So Henry Davis went 1.9 under slot as 1-1 this past year. Colton Kowser, 1.3 under slot. The Orioles underslotted the fifth overall pick. But then you look at a guy like Jordan Lawler, where he signed for a million over slot. You look at, you know, 2020, Torque signed at slot value. Heston Kierstad, went two. The Orioles, again, underslotted the second overall pick. $2.6 million under slot. And then the Blue Jays, they went nearly a million over slot value to go get Austin Martin at five. Like there is really not been a cut and dry. These are the five best players in the draft in recent history, with the exception of 2019, because Rutschman went pretty much right at slot value. And then the rest of the top five went right at slot value. That just felt like best player on the board. Let's go grab him and pay him his money. Yeah. And, and I would say the equivalent to that across another sport, like the comparison would be, how often are NFL or NBA drafts not trading picks in the top five? I mean, it's still probably more often that you see guys underslotted, but it's pretty frequent when we'll see one of the picks traded in the top five. Underslotting a pick in the top five is essentially trading back, right? Because you have a finite amount of money in your bonus pool, which is based on what selections you have. And let's say for round numbers, it's 10 million and you 
want to go under slot with that first pick. You have way more money to work with in the other selections to convince guys to not go to college and, and sign that second round high school or for what is a million dollars, maybe over slot and maybe first round slot value. So it gives you another first round pick almost, and it allows you to be strategic with it. So like at the end of the day, if you really, really like a guy in the draft, you could probably weasel your way up there and over slot like a Jordan Lawler and, and be able to get them at number six, right? Like you could still pull that off unless a team ahead of you is that also infatuated with the player. So it still doesn't totally change things for teams. And that's why I like it even more. It's teams will still be able to really make a move if they really want to. But at the end of the day, it, it de-incentivizes tanking a little bit. It adds another spectacle to baseball and hell dude, I'm here for like the number 11 pick in the draft or the number 11 probability getting the number one pick like that stuff's always hilarious. And, and I like, I'm here for that kind of stuff, dude, you have no idea how excited the shit, the city of Chicago was when they landed one, one for Derek Rose. Like I'm, I'm sure you yeah, remember that oh, type yeah, I of do. fiasco. Like it was amazing because I think it was like a 0.5% probability that the bulls were going to land the number one pick and get their guy, get the guy from Englewood, get the guy that went to Simeon and Derek Rose. And like, they got it. I mean, that was such excitement. Um, of course, I, I remember to... that. I'm a Miami Heat fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Michael Beasley, too. Michael Beasley, it's two. Man, how about OJ that? Mayo at three? Jeez. That was kind of a mess of a draft, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. I want to do a fun exercise here um, because I just want to show you how much of a crapshoot the number one overall pick is in each of these sports. I went back to, let's see what year I went back to, 2010. I'm going to run through the number one overall picks in the MLB, the NBA, and the NFL. And I want you to count the number of guys who were not busts, but underperformers. Guys who underperformed. Okay. Cool. You want to start with the uh, MLB? With, with MLB? Sure. Yeah. So I'm going to rattle through these quick fire. I think there's 12 going back to 2010. And at the end, I want you to tell me how many guys you counted that have been underwhelmers. Okay. Henry Davis, Spencer Torkelson, Adley Rutschman, Casey Mize, Royce Lewis, Mickey Moniak, Dansby Swanson, Brady Aiken, Mark Appel, Carlos Correa, Garrett Cole, Bryce Harper. Four and a half and a half. Four and a half. So Appel and Aiken, one, two. Moniak and Royce Lewis, three, four. And then who are you saying is a half? Mize? I wouldn't even count Mize. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go four. Four. Okay. Let's do the NBA now. Cade Cunningham, Anthony Edwards, Zion Williamson, DeAndre Ayton, Markel Fultz, Ben Simmons, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Anthony Bennett, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, John Wall. Two? Two. And, and the craziest part is Zion. Is, that's the craziest part is Zion in that vote. Not yet, but kind of scary. Uh, he was phenomenal out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not even close, right? I mean, all of these NBA guys, aside from the only really, really disastrous one is, is Anthony Bennett. Like, really, really yeah. disastrous. And, and a lot of these other guys, I mean, they're, they're impact dudes. And even if you say like, oh, well, Andrew Wiggins wasn't the number one pick, he's an all-star this year. And, and regardless, he's had a great career and he's going to make over $100 million. I think he already has. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's crazy. Even the, the, 
worse ones. Even Markel Fultz, right? Like he's out this year. I still think he's going to be a fine NBA player for a 100%. while. Whereas when you miss with Mark Appel, it's it's just like that guy doesn't even crack the big leagues. Yeah, like that's ridiculous. that's the difference. Yeah, that's the difference. And then let's finish with the NFL here: Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett, Jared Goff, Jameis Winston, Jadeveon Clowney, Eric Fisher, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, Sam Bradford. Two. Is are you counting Bradford and Goff? Are those the Goff? Two? I'm counting Goff, not Bradford. Yeah, I wouldn't count Bradford, Bradford either. Are you counting Eric Fisher? I think Eric Fisher was fine. I, he was a Pro Bowler. He was a Pro yeah. Bowl tackle. Yeah, it's so pretty who, crazy. Goff? Just Goff and um, Clowney. No, Clowney's been fine. Yeah, like Clowney has given you some good years. That's the, that's the thing too, is because. These sports, you're going straight to straight to the league, but these guys have still been impact players. I mean, look, has Clowney been what we were hoping? No, he's still a three time Pro Bowler. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's 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 insane. I mean, a three time All Star in baseball, you're, you're you're happy with the number one pick there. So, you know, we're under. Like, I know that it's apples to oranges, but the point is, the draft is the draft, and and every every sport has the same draft process for the most part in terms of just. 30 or 32 teams and you pick an order and the worst teams pick first, right? That's how it works. But we had a lottery in the NBA. We don't have a lottery in football. So it's a, it's a little bit different in that regard. I'm here for it because it's such a crap shoot anyways. Like let's, let's make it a little bit more fun and let's de-incentivize teams just sucking. I, I think it's a pretty crazy exercise to go through the number one picks each year and, and baseball, man. I mean, Number one, I think, is worse than number two. I think if you went number two through the years, it might be better. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we can we can do that over the last uh, – who did I do that for? I did that through 2017. Let's do it. Jack Leiter, Heston Kierstad, Bobby Witt Jr., Alec Bohm, Hunter, or, uh, Joey Bart, Hunter Green. Like, all those guys have the possibility of being really good. Yeah. The, oh, well, several of them are better than the guy that was picked ahead of them. Yeah, and then you look at the NBA, too. Jalen Green, James Wiseman, John Morant, Marvin Bagley, Lonzo Ball. Only one flop there. I mean... And, like, hardly. And, like, Bagley still is fine. Yeah, Bagley's still fine. Like, that's the thing. So, with the MLB, like, here's the thing. Missing on a guy in the NBA, Anthony Bennett is, like, the all-time miss, like, worst ever. Yeah. And he still gave you, like... I don't know, 50 games in that uniform. Like he gave you a couple of 10 point outings missing on Brady Aiken is like, that guy doesn't get past high a missing yeah. on Mark Appel. Like that guy never makes the big leagues. He gives you zero, nothing. That is a legitimate like flounder. And it happens a lot. A lot. It happens a lot. Like if I went back to 2000, I mean, we're looking at guys like Matt Bush who was out of the league because he was arrested and now he's playing a different position. And then you look at guys <laughs> like, Tim Beckham, who still isn't the worst because he was in Major League Baseball player. Like, he might come back, so actually, many too. Examples. Who'd you say? Tim Beckham might come back, too. Yeah, exactly. Dude. And, like, you're looking at Luke Hochaber. Wasn't he a first overall pick? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, what about, yeah. um, what about the Pirates guy? Um, pitcher, shoot. What are you talking about? Uh, that's going to kill me. Huh. It's something with a B. It's going to it's going to it's going to drive me nuts. Just Google it. But I've got another point here because like 
it's a wide array of people who flounder here. Like you're looking at prep pitcher, Brady Aiken. He floundered. You're looking at prep outfielder, Mickey Moniak. He floundered. You're looking at prep shortstop, Rice Lewis. He floundered. Okay, now let's go to college. College pitcher, Mark Appel. He floundered. Like there are so many guys that just don't pan out here. Ball State legend, Brian Bullington. Yeah, that's right. One, Brian one, Bullington. 2002. One, yeah. one. Um, oh my gosh. The Pirates draft's kind of funny. Paul Mahalam in 2003, number eight overall. Wow. Pedro Alvarez, number two overall in 2008. Damn. That's kind of a hit though. Kind like, of a hit. Which that's is crazy. It's all If relative. they get to the big leagues, it's a hit. <laughs> like it's a hit. Um, because yeah. the odds are really stacked against him. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we agree that it's, it's good. What about the side of drafting with the, with the pools that would make or trading draft picks, excuse me. With the bonus pools, it would make things a little bit confusing, but I guess you could just just plug and play with the bonus pool money of the selections that you trade. I kind of like it. I, I, I'm I'm here for some some trading draft picks, although there has to be a limit maybe because you could accumulate like a $30 million draft bonus pool, right? Like I could trade a bunch of role players for draft picks and accumulate a crazy amount of bonus pool money and then just, just r- run the draft. Like, imagine if the Thunder draft capital was translated into bonus pool money. Now you legit run the draft. So that would be the only issue, right? You'd have to have some sort of limitation, like a cap. You can't get over 15 million or whatever it is. You can't get over 20 million in bonus pool money, something like that. But other than that, I I think it would would make sense. You know what would be awesome is multi-layered trades. So you've got prospect for draft pick or something like mm-hmm. that. Hey, let's swap picks. And you also get this fringe top 20 guy in my organization. That would be awesome. Or how about at the deadline, getting a savvy vet in the bullpen, like a seventh inning guy. And you say, hey, you get my first round pick or you get my second round pick. That would be awesome. And that adds a new layer that has been so exciting with the NBA and the NFL, the NFL a little bit less so because for some reason you see like these washed stars getting conditional seventh round picks. Like I, yeah, don't, that, that I don't football care. trades are the worst football like, trades are the worst, but like basketball, it's like, Holy shit. Let's see how much fun we can have here. And I think I, baseball I can tap into that. Well, and we see a little bit of how the picks also help trades happen because there's situations where you don't know what the value, like you're trying to just get a little piece. That's going to, even things out a little bit and a lot of things might not have that in between prospects like there's top heavy systems where outside of the top five the guys don't have enough value Uh, and in the top five they're too good to trade and that's why we don't see as many trades but you look at the randy rosarena deal for matthew libertor they also had a a competitive balance round b pick which is the 63rd overall pick to st louis as part of that deal to get a Rosarena, like that's the like little thing that put it over to over the top to make the deal happen. You can trade competitive balance picks and that's it. Like that will allow for more trades and more ability to just, just make things happen uh, because it gives you just another asset, which I love. Yeah. And let's say, let's say the Padres want a Dylan Floro. They're not going to give up one of their top four guys, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, let's say the White Sox want a platoon right fielder. They have nobody in the system to trade from. Yeah. So it's either big league guys or brand new idea, light bulb here, draft picks. What yeah. if they trade their first round pick for a good right fielder? Like that is enticing. Yep. I, I, and I love it. I, I really hope that they do this. 
because once again, it would be better for baseball in that regard. And you look at the Orioles or some teams like that, like teams will want to do that because they get, they get to pick their own prospects, right? If, if there's a team that you want to trade with a team that really wants your player and they're going to give up a lot more, but they don't have prospects that you like, it gives you another opportunity to be able to, to still trade with that team that wants them. They're going to give you more. Um, I, I like it all around because let's say the Orioles are going to trade somebody and the, the White Sox want that player the most. But some other teams are like, oh, yeah, but you're not going to get any good prospects from them. We'll give you one of our like sixth or seventh ranked prospects, but we're not going to give you more than that. And the White Sox want them way more. The Orioles, who are a rebuilding team that need all the help in the world, can say, no, give me your first round freaking pick. And the White Sox will be like, damn, I mean, we got nothing else. Like, sure, here you go. We don't want to trade you know, our top guy. And they, they trade their first round pick instead. Like it, it allows the Orioles to have more leverage in these situations too, because they have more assets that they can demand. So and then I'm here sudden, for it across the board. And then all of a sudden the Diamondbacks can look like the Oklahoma City Thunder where they just stockpile. They'd be the team to do it, I think. I think so too. <laughs> I like it. Fun, man. It would be fun. I like and I think that it would be a great conversation. And I selfishly, it would make the trade deadline a ton of fun for us. And it'd make the draft a blast. I mean, the Mets to a degree will have that this year with like 50 picks because they drafted Kumar Rocker with no intention of, of signing him. And then yeah. uh, I forget what the other situations are that, that gave them more picks. They're going to have a ton of picks this year. Like it's going to be fun for Mets play for Mets fans. This draft will be a blast. You have like several picks back to back. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. I also decided to wear my Oakland A's shirt because I just wanted to celebrate that this was the team that drafted Kyler Murray ninth overall. <laughs> yeah. I was looking at that one. That draft is the singular craziest. I think. That was I what? Think, that was India fifth. Yeah, the 2018 draft, right? 2018 top five picks were Mize, Bart, Bohm, Madrigal, India. Then Kalnick, Weathers, Carter Stewart, who's oh. now pitching in Japan. Yeah. Right. So Carter Stewart just said, screw it. I'm not signing uh, because they had some issue with, with his physical. And I think he got like 20 million to go to Japan. And then the very next pick is a guy who played football. Like it, Japan and football back to back. Pretty crazy in the top 10. Like that doesn't happen in other sports. It is the no. top 10 and the top 10. And the worst part about it for the A's is that Kyler Murray signed. So like they didn't get a comp pick back. They didn't get the Kumar Rocker pick back as Kyler signed. They own the rights to Kyler Murray. Kyler wanted to say like, I'm playing baseball. He, the Oakland A's own the rights to him. So what sucks about that is that, they don't get a comp pick. So they actually threw away the ninth overall pick in the draft. Billy Bean threw away the number nine pick. That's pretty nuts. It's nuts. I don't know why that happened. Like they knew there was a chance and they let him play football, right? The, the draft was before that season that he basically solidified himself as number one. Yes. And which is a worst case scenario. They wanted to be good and just be like, all right, yeah, we want you to be happy, Kyler. Play football this year, enjoy it, and then we'll see you on the baseball field. <laughs> and he won the freaking Heisman. So, I mean, it, it's it's funny how that worked out, unfortunate for them. Just I wouldn't let him play football for multiple reasons. God forbid he gets hurt. Or on the other end, I guess it was the best-case scenario for Kyler, but he plays so well that he's a number one overall pick, and now you have nothing to show for that ninth selection. They could have got Travis Swaggerty instead with the next pick. Yeah. <laughs> Some options here. Um, yeah. What else? We got Giants top 10 coming out today on the call up. It's yeah, it's out now. 
and the call up, we will be going down that whole top 10 list because I think there's some surprises. Uh, Joey Bart, not in the top five, some things like that. Um, so you and I will be going through that on the episode, but the list is, is out too. So definitely check that out. I'm pumped about that. Cool beans. Uh, Pete and I will talk to you tomorrow.